0: So good to be um, speaking today, as uh, Andrea said, my name's Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's, um, and it's my privilege to lead the eldership team. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 3. As many of you know, um, myself and a, and, and a, a small team, um, small in numbers, not necessarily in stature, went to India a few weeks ago, although actually some of them were fairly short in stature, but we won't go there. Um, If I don't get a boo in a preach, I'm just not really, I'm not cutting it. So I, at least I've got that out of the way nice and early. Um, oh, i just drop that. What, one of the, there's a couple of things I absolutely um, loved about being in India. One, one of them was their passion to worship Jesus. So although materially, they have so much less than we do at a whole number of, of levels, their passion and desire to celebrate what Jesus has done is such an example and a provocation. I've never been in a worship time before where I was really worried that they were going to hurt themselves. I I was really quite concerned that we would have been taking them to whatever the Indian equivalent of A&E is because they were so exuberant in their praise and worship for Jesus and I, I felt so thoroughly challenged um, by their happiness, their joy, their delight in Jesus Christ. And there's many things we do well, but there's also many things we can grow in. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, I mean, when Praveen was here, he said, he said there's going to be more Indians in heaven than any other nation. That's right, isn't it? 1.2 billion people. So there's going to be a lot more Indians than English people. So firstly, get used to that. And secondly, because there's more of them, they're probably going to be leading the worship. So that being the case, we better practice at being, being exuberant because I think that's how it's going to be. And you don't want to spend the first few millennia trying to catch up. Okay? So uh, that was one of the things. And I think that's why I pushed a little bit this, this morning um, because I think there's, there's areas we can break through in when it comes to our praise and worship to Jesus. And sometimes our, our um, self-consciousness and self-awareness and when we look around at what others are doing fear can set in and it can stop us enjoying everything God has for us and that's what we mustn't stop we we mustn't level out I think for me in my Christian life what I've noticed is my growth in God has just been one little step at a time and each time it's breaking through fear barriers each time it's breaking through things that have held me back and saying no I'm not going to be confined I'm pushing on I want to take everything God has for me And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for a few weeks or for 50 years, like some of you have. You still need to be pushing through, breaking those barriers. It doesn't matter whether you're 15 years old or whether you're 65 years old. God would still call you heavenwards, pushing through, breaking those barriers, taking them down, saying, no, I'm not going to be confined by just what my personality says that I am if it doesn't conform with what the Bible says. I'm going to find new ways to express my love and my devotion for Jesus so that was one of the things I loved about being in India the other thing that I really loved was their passion to meet with God so you know they they loved the worship which was clear for me to see the preaching's okay but they had to encounter God the ministry time at the end they were so hungry to encounter God because if they didn't meet with him life was so tough if they did not have a tangible encounter with God week by week. I mean, they had it in their own walk with him, but this special moment when the church gathers together, if I don't go away having encountered God, how on earth am I going to face the things I've got going on this week? And maybe some of the challenge that we face is the fact that actually life's pretty good. In reality, in comparison to what most of the world faces, your life is actually not just pretty good, it's very good. And it's so easy just to be self-sufficient. You know what? I don't really need God to get through this week, whereas they do. What a shame that robs us of everything He's got for us. And so I want you, as I'm preaching today, not worry too much whether I get my words in the right order, because <laughs> there ain't much chance of that. But but connect with Him. What's He speaking to you about? Don't be the person that is sat here today that misses out. If you are, it won't be because I've done a bum preach. I don't know, can I say that? I can. Okay, good. It won't be because I've done a bad preach. It'll be because you've not opened your heart up. Focus with your mind. This morning we're going to look at an absolute glorious passage. Let me just read out some of the phrases that, that are in this passage we're going to read in chapter 3. It talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. It talks about the mystery hidden for ages. It talks about the manifold wisdom of God that has been made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It speaks about the God's eternal purpose. So what we're talking about today, they, these are big glorious things. They're not, they're not little things. This, this, this is a big, big thing that we are going to be looking at today. This is God's big plan. This is God's big, pur- big purpose. And to be quite honest, for us to grasp hold of it, it will take the best of our brain power. Because if, if this is God's big thing, we who are small are going to have our work cut out to fully grasp and see and understand everything that God has got planned. Now it flows on from last week where I spoke about from going from hostility to peace. And I I don't know if you remember it, but if you don't, I'm going to give you a quick reminder. We were at one point in hostility towards God. But that wasn't the limit of our hostility. We were in hostility towards other people. But Jesus Christ came. And his precious blood has taken us who are a people far away and brought us near to God. But not only brought us near to God, he's brought us near to one another. And so it doesn't matter what culture you come from, what background you come from, what preferences you have, what personality type you have. We have all been brought close to God and close to one one another by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In actual fact, he has killed the hostility. That's what it says in the end of chapter 2. That's strong words. Hostility has been killed. So therefore, we do not leave any space for it in our relationship with God and we don't leave any space for it in our relationship with one another. God has got something better for us than that. And in a sense, what Paul is doing in chapter three, because he didn't have any of these sort of breaks in the passage, he's just carrying right on through. He's marching right on through. He's saying, look, this hostility has been done away with. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your personalities. Now we're one new person in Christ. This is the thing that defines us now. It's not your nationality. It's not your education. It's not even who you want to sit next to. These things do not define you. It's not your nation. That's not important. But the fact that you're one new person in Christ. Paul then goes on, who wrote this, to unpack it. And he's bringing it to a climax as we get halfway through um, chapter three. Why don't I pray and then we're going to dive in and see where we go. Oh Lord, we are hungry to meet with you today, we, we, Lord, I count it as an absolute privilege to have been in this time of worship this morning, just to gaze upon your beauty, to be able to shout our praise to you, Lord, it's such a privilege that I could be here. Lord, I ask you, Lord, would our minds be full of your wonders? Would our hearts be touched again by your glory? Lord, as we look at big things, things too big in some ways for us to grasp, Lord, would we understand them? Would our hearts be full afresh of love and delight and joy in you? I pray, Lord, any troubles that we've brought in with us would really just fade away in the light of who you are and what you're doing and your purposes and your goodness for us. Oh, God, come and have your way, we pray. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as we dive into chapter 3... What we see, and I've already touched on this, is God's big plan. But what we also see is Paul, who wrote Ephesians, we see his CV weaved into it as well. So what we see here is a very small man, but we see a very big plan. And I think there's something we can learn as we unpack this together. The church displaying the wisdom and the glory of God so let's just focus a little bit and I'm, it's a very simple preach I've got we're going to look at the small man and then we're going to look at the big plan and I, I really trust this will be helpful to you what? oh I haven't read the passage have I? I haven't read the passage yet no? no I'll read the passage <laughs> I wondered why you were looking more blank than normal so <laughs> for this reason I Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles remember non Jews, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So what you're going to see here is God's sort of C V, his His history in it, but you're also going to see God's big plan all weaved together. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he has given me by the working of his power. To me... that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So we, hear, we see here Paul's personal story weaved into God's big plan. And what I notice here is that, that what we see here is Paul clearly expresses a weakness but he also has a confidence. I find it really, really interesting that within this passage here, you see his weakness, and yet you also see his confidence. You see his weakness expressed in his circumstance. So that opening verse, verse one, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He was a prisoner in Rome. Paul's circumstance was not a good circumstance to be in. You know, if, if, if... if you had an apostle as a church, you know, you wouldn't pick one who was in prison. You'd pick one who could visit you, who could come and help you with prayer meetings. You'd have one who could come and meet with the elders. You'd, you'd have one who had a big library of preachers that you could download. You'd have all of these mighty things if you were looking for an apostle. This one is in prison. He's distant. He cannot come and visit. And yet, he doesn't hide away the weakness of his circumstance. In actual fact, he seems very happy to express the circumstance he finds himself in. You also notice that he expresses in this passage weakness in his background. He says here that I am the least of all the saints. That means he's the least of all the Christians. Well, in actual fact, Paul says a bit later in another letter, he says actually that I am the worst of all sinners. Paul doesn't hide his weakness. In actual fact... He seems to be very happy if people know about it. He's the worst of all sinners. He, he clearly s- talks about in other uh, letters that he writes how he used to persecute the church, how he killed Christians, how he sent them to prison, how he confiscated their property. His background is not one that you would think is conducive to being a good cr- Christian. You'd think maybe if there was anything that could disqualify it you, it would be what Paul had done. He'd been out to destroy the church. And yet, Paul appears to be, I wouldn't say happy with his weakness, but he certainly doesn't hide from it. Paul is a very weak man at one level. But we also find that he's a man of great confidence as well. Not in himself or not in his own abilities, but he has a great confidence in God. He knows God's call, if you see in verse 2 and verse 8. He knows God has called him at this time for this task. He's he's at peace with that. He knows God's called him. He knows knows God has revealed things to him. We see that in verses 3 and verse 8. He knows the things he's saying have been revealed by God. In verse 4, he knows that the church in Ephesus will confirm what he is saying. He is confident in their reaction. We find he is confident in God's timing. We see that in verse 5 and verse 9. A mystery that's been hidden for ages but now has been revealed. He's confident in the timing of God. He's confident in God's empowering. You see that in verse 7 and verse 8. Although Paul is very weak, he's also confident in God's. He's not so weak that he's wallowing in self-pity. He's not so confident that he's arrogant and pushing everyone out the way. He seems to have this amazing balance of both. I don't know if you're sat here today and you feel weak. You feel maybe your background disqualifies you from usefulness to God. Well, it didn't disqualify Paul. And I'm pretty certain he did worse things than you've done when it comes to trying to destroy the church. It might be your present circumstance. Well, that, that disqualifies you. If only, if only I had someone else's set of circumstances, then I would fly. Well, Paul was in prison, but it didn't stop him from fulfilling the call of God upon his life. I just want to encourage you, church, and I think sometimes we can, feel, we can fall into this, that we can find excuses as to why we cannot be useful for God. God doesn't use those excuses, it's only you. God doesn't disqualify you because of your circumstances. God doesn't disqualify you because of your background. That that would only be you. God frees you up from it. God uses you in the midst of it. And so we find here Paul is a small man at some ways. But God is weaving him into his big purposes. Just to to linger there just a little bit longer, it says this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, this this is, I guess, God speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for you. For some of you that's a now word, right now. God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. I I had uh, uh, I had a mini episode, a mini meltdown in the leaders meeting this week. So we we gather with about the, the, the sort of the community group leaders, the ministry leaders, um, four or five times a year, just to pray, share heart, talk vision. I don't know if any of you guys ever have a like a mini meltdown. I chose I chose in front of all the church leaders to do it. At, at one level, if I'm totally honest, I feel that this season is circumstantially one of the most challenging I've faced. It's hard but i have an opportunity i have a decision before me i can i can choose self pity or i can choose to rest and put my confidence in god and i read passages like that that say paul when you feel at your most weak weak it's an opportunity for me to move at my greatest when i feel like i've got to the end of my tether and i really don't know what to do Do you know what? That's the opportunity where God can step in and use me in a way that I've never been used before. That's what it seems to be saying. That's what Paul seems to be doing by example. It's not a problem knowing you're weak. It's only a problem if you wallow there. Paul had this beautiful mix of knowing his weakness but having confidence in the power of his God. And church, I want to encourage you If you're struggling at the moment don't look at your weakness be aware of it don't run away from it don't pretend it's not there but you need to rest in the confidence of God who he is what he's doing how he's working in our lives your circumstance and your personal history do not disqualify you from usefulness to God unless you allow them to but we also find Paul in in his smallness is weaved into God's big plan he is weaved into God's multifaceted wisdom he he gets to play a part in God's big plan Although he's small, although he's weak, although he's got a whole load of stuff wrong, it seems that God delights in taking people with just that CV, just those qualifications and saying, I'm going to use them to demonstrate my great wisdom and my glory. They're, it's not they don't disqualify you. In some ways, our weakness qualifies us to be useful to God. If we handle it in the right way, have a look at verse 10. It says this, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's manifold wisdom, his multifaceted wisdom, is revealed where? Is it revealed in great preaching? Is it revealed in brilliant worship conferences where thousands and thousands come? Is it, is it revealed in great social action projects, good as all of these things are? No, it's revealed in the church. And when it says church, it's not that God's wisdom is revealed in a building, nor, nor does he mean actually is it revealed in an organisation. It's revealed in a family. It's revealed in a group of people that look just like us. When God wants to show how wise he is, he says, look at them, look at my church, look at how my blood has brought people from all different nations, all different backgrounds with so many barriers, so much hostility and I've removed it all in my son, I've brought them together as a people. I brought them together to be a new nation. I brought them together to be a family. I brought them together to be a temple, living stones, joined together, in which I will dwell by my spirit. I brought them together to be a body. So when God is saying, look, how am I? How am I going to display my manifold wisdom? How is it best reflected? It's in you. It's in me. You may be thinking, is he daft? But this is what the Bible says. And do you know what? It's not When he talks about revealing his manifold wisdom, look who he's revealing it to. The rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. Not, not just other human beings. It's not just people looking in from the outside of church. But it's, the, but it's rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Let, let me turn you to something in Revelation where we see something of rulers and authorities in operation here. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Revelation 7, verses 11 and 12. I think the words will come up behind. or hopefully they will. Have you found it, Dan? Nothing like putting pressure on the AV operator. No, not that one. Revelation. Brilliant. Excellent. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is, I think a reflection of rulers and authorities in heavenly places and what they are doing before the throne of God. Now, in this particular context, they're not looking at the church, but I think, basically, God says, if you want to see my wisdom, if you want to see the extent of my glory, look at my bride. Look at my church. See how I have brought it together. And what is their response? Oh, wisdom and glory and honour and power belong to you, Lord God. This... This is God's big plan. It's the church. It's the church local. It's the church universal. All believers from all times, all nations, gather together before the throne. But we as a church have a call to bring glory to God and prove how wise God is. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, there is nothing beyond the church. She is the highest most supreme manifestation of the wisdom of God. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we don't get a whole load of stuff wrong. But God says there is something unique about us as a community of people. The call we have upon us here other churches around the town. You see, when when we mess stuff up, when we choose to go our own way, when we put God in second place and ourselves in first place, it's not just that it affects you, but it affects us as a church, but it also dishonours God. We reflect something of His glory. There isn't anything greater you can give yourself to than glorifying God in a community of people called the church. His body, his bride, his temple, his nation. This is who the church is. Do you remember I spoke last week about God removing hostility from between one another? Please do you remember, I don't know why I asked the question. <laughs> one of the illustrations for a church, for the church, is one, and I've already referenced it, is, is one of a temple. And that we are living stones being built on top of one another. Joined together. To become a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. We, we are that. That's, that's what was happening this morning as we worshipped him. That's, that's who we are right now. It's so important that we are not only piles of stones in our little segments but that we're being built together in meaningful relationships. It's so important that if we're to be a church that fully demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God, that our relationships with each other aren't just okay, we don't just put up with one another, but there's a quality to them. That we demonstrate something that actually you don't see outside of church. If you look at at modern day buildings I'm struggling a little bit but I will get there I know if you look at modern day buildings they have bricks and they have mortar yeah cement and sand in between the strength of the cement and sand directly affects the strength of the wall it affects the strength of the building and I suppose where I want to sort of land this morning is looking at what is the mortar that joins us together I know that we broke bread together last week and I I, I felt that was a really special time. But if I'm totally honest, I think there's more for us to do when it comes to looking at how we are built together and our relationships together. Are we building together with the right sort of stuff or are we allowing the wrong sort of things to get into our relationships? And I just feel God wants to do a little bit more with us in this area. So what I want to do is I'm going to read out a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a very familiar passage. And I want you to imagine that this is the mortar between our relationships. This is what joins us together. And as I'm doing that, I invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us about the things that are there in our relationships. Some of them are going to be really, really good. And some of them you might think, oh... Even I'm clever enough to know they shouldn't be there. But, but as I read that word out, people's faces are going to spring to your mind. And you're going to think, oh. what we need to do is we need to put these things right. We need to repent of them. So, let me read this passage out. What things should be in these relationships? As we reflect the manifold wisdom of God, what shouldn't be there? So it says this. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4-8 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never ends now there are things in this passage that will build us together closer and reflect God's manifold wisdom as we do relationship together. And there are things there that just quite frankly should not be there. And you might find that the people that are coming to mind aren't all that far away from you. Although we're talking church, it could be marriage. It could be parents to children or children to parents. It could be your community group leader it could be your church elders obviously not me probably Sam he's not here but when we're we're faced with this what the bible says we need to do is we need to repent we need to realise that these things shouldn't be in our relationships we need to take them off and we need to put the right stuff on the bible is very very practical about that And what I'd just like to do is I'd like to invite the band back up and I'd like us to stand because I really do want to make 10 minutes at the end for us to do business with God. Not for me just to keep chatting away and talking but for us in a sense if there are things we need to take off that we can take them off. That we have relationships with one another that reflect what God would have for us. That we make a deliberate decision to put things on in certain situations. Maybe what you need to do in a certain situation is you just got to put on peace. Like you put on a pet clean pair of socks every morning, or hopefully you do. Every morning, you need to be saying, In God, I'm, I'm putting on patience in you. I'm going to use, I, I'm going to step into that this morning. Give me grace for that today in my relationships. Why don't we stand? God has called us into a big plan. This isn't a small plan. This isn't something we can do on our own, that we would reflect the manifold wisdom of God. Not only to rulers and authorities, but to Hastings, but to St. Leonard's, but to Beck's Hill, to Rye, that we would reflect something of God's amazing glory in how we do life together. The problem is, sometimes stuff gets into how we live life that just shouldn't be there. In that case, we need to repent. We need to put it off. Can I just ask you to play a little bit of music, not too loud? Is that all right? And what I want to ask you guys to do is just have a look at the list. 1 Corinthians 13. Dan, if you could put that up. Just flick between the two slides. And just ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to you if there are areas you need to put right. To be quite honest, I imagine each of us here will at least have two or three unless you're much holier than me. Well, which could be the case.